Oh, how are you guys doing today? Good? So I want to share just a, a couple of minutes about my trip to Minnesota. Many of you kn- do know, some of you don't know. I know Mark kind of announced it, you know, I'm up in, in Minnesota. It wasn't as cold as they say it is there. Maybe God was just merciful. I don't know. Everybody kept asking me, is it cold here? Are you used to this? I'm like... Uh, yeah, it was like worse in Albuquerque when I left. I'm just being honest. That's the way it was because we got that snowstorm right before we left. So it, it was that was cold. It's about that cold in Minnesota. So was, God prepared me like really a lot. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, for those of you who don't know, part of the reason I was up in Minnesota was I was uh, sharing, you know, kind of what we've been trying to do here in building a foundation and helping you as parents. Uh, disciple your kids in the Lord. And so I know that it's probably been a while since I've done an announcement. I usually just sit down and and talk with people one at a time. But if you have children any age, I would love to sit down and talk with you concerning your discipleship of your children, what they can know, what they can do, because the foundation needs to be rebuilt in our country and uh, needs to be rebuilt concerning our children in Christ. And it starts with you as parents. And so if I haven't talked with you, come and track me down. I would love to talk with you about that. Also, much like Mark talked about a YouTube channel for that, we have a YouTube channel for this ministry as well. We help you as parents to walk through with your kids concerning that. So if you want to find out more information about that, come and talk to me. I will be happy to share with you. In the meantime, we've been going through Amos. Amos is rough. How many of you are like, this was a rough week, right? Going through, yeah, going through the scriptures this week was rough. I want to kind of recap what we went through this week. So chapter 6, we, we go through chapter 6 and we see that we have the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, are totally living up the life, right? And totally unconcerned about the ruin of Israel about their unfaithfulness to God, and they're going to be judged by it. We get chapter 7, which we're actually going to go in more in depth. Chapter 7 is where we're going to be at as a congregation, so I'm going to skip over that. But we get, we get some visions that, that um, Amos is given, and then we have a confrontation with the priest down at Bethel, and we're going to talk about that. Um, chapter 8, more judgment talk, Right? You're not going to avoid this. The, the time is ripe. Judgment is going to come. I think one of, the, one of the scary things mentioned in this chapter was that there was going to be a famine, but it was going to be a famine not of food, but a famine of the word of the Lord, that you're not going to hear from God. I'm going to be quiet. I mean, I'm going to punish you and people who are looking for me, they're not even going to want to mention my name because of the punishment that's coming down on you, and I'm not going to talk to you. The idea of God's people being set aside for God and then the one who has chosen him to be his people and saying, I'm not talking to you anymore is a pretty strict judgment in my opinion. It really is. And finally, we look at chapter 9, which is even scarier in my opinion than chapter 8. We're not going to have the word of the Lord, but then on top of not having the word of the Lord, he evokes language concerning judgment saying, you are not going to hide from me when judgment comes. And if you look at Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, where David uses the omnipresence of God as a great comfort, 
You know, Lord, you search and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. If I go to the, to the highest of highs or the lowest of depths, you are there with me. If I try to hide myself in the dark, even the darkness will be as light to you, right? And so we see this and it's supposed to be a great comfort as we read it in Psalm 139. But in Amos 8, he uses that same language to say, even if you try to hide away, on top of a mountain or down in the depths below, no matter where you go, if you hide in the seas, I will still find you and I will still punish you for your sins. See, that's the other side of this omnipresence, right? God is everywhere. It's a great comfort to those who know and love him and a great terror to those who are disobedient. And then finally, there's a promise At the end, at the very end, these last five verses of Amos represent this promise of restoration, of a return, of God bringing them back to never be uprooted again. It's it's based in an initial repentance of uh, of this nation of Israel and the eventual eternal presence of God for those who believe in Jesus Christ. So this is how Amos ends. We're going to be talking today in in a sermon titled, The Unseen Struggles of a Prophet. Right? The Unseen Struggle of a Prophet. Something I think that all of us, believe it or not, should be, if we're believers in Christ, familiar with. And if we're not, then we have to ask ourselves concerning how fervent we are in our relationship with Jesus And spreading his word. How does it feel to be a spiritual minority? Woohoo! I mean, seriously, we we really are. We are now a spiritual minority. I've been reading a book called Faithfully, um, uh, what is it? I can't even remember the name of it now. Dang it, it's Natasha Crane's new book, Faithfully Different, I believe. So, and, and so the book starts us out talking about that those who believe in Christ biblically are now a spiritual minority. Probably have been a spiritual minority for some time. But, you know, the book's out now, so now it's official, right? That's how, that's how all that works. But we are officially a spiritual minority. That should, you know, in our weird woke culture right now, give us privileged status, right? Yes? <laughs> but... Alas, it does not. Um, But being a spiritual minority, one of the things that, that has been coming harder from us, and you've heard us talk about this from the pulpit for quite a bit, is that how we live according to our faith as a spiritual minority is much different than how we live according to our faith as a spiritual majority. Let me give you some examples of that, okay? When it's perceived that we're a spiritual majority and we believe that the people who are in our nation, for example, are mostly Christians, right? Let's just say we're 60% Christian. Then talking about the things of God to anybody is a lot easier, isn't it? I can share Christ because there's a better than one out of two chance that they probably at least know something about Jesus too. I can invite them to church because, you know what? 
It's a culturally normal thing for people to meet together in a place where we worship God together. So those things become quite easy, right? I can be able to share about things that people should do and people shouldn't do because we share the same values in general, right? So my values are the same as somebody else's values that I haven't met before because there's this underpinning within our culture of this Christian worldview. My friends, that doesn't exist anymore. That doesn't exist in America, and that doesn't exist in most churches. And how things happen as a result of that change. Because I can guarantee 20, 25 years ago, you inviting somebody to church, talking about things of the culture, how bad things have gotten, what things are going on, a lot easier to talk about than today, wouldn't you agree? We're afraid to open our mouths concerning things that 25 years ago would have been normal. We could have sat next to our worker who may not necessarily be a Christian, but knew enough about Christianity to have a dialogue, right? Concerning shared morality. The values that we want to pass down to our children. All of those things are a a little bit different, right? Now, now we look at our coworkers. Can I mention something about Jesus to them? Can I say something along the lines of gender without them being offended? Can I talk about biblical sexuality without it being a fight? Or even worse, the possibility that me even bringing that up could get me in trouble at my work? Do we realize how far we have fallen as a society? And learning how to live as a spiritual minority in a country where we've enjoyed being the majority for so long, we're not exactly sure how to deal with it. This is the plight of Amos. Amos is talking to a society that's rejected God and judgment's coming down. And as a result of that, we're going to see two sides to Amos today. They seem kind of disjointed from one another. But I think by the end of this time, we're all going to relate and be able to see that not only do we see this in Amos, we see this in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for those who are living for Christ, we'll see a certain amount of this in ourselves as well. Amos chapter 7. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just, and the, just as the second crop was coming up. And when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. And then I cried out, sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. 
This will not happen either, the sovereign Lord said. And this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. And the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Then the high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amazah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all of his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out of here, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Namus answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will certainly go into exile, away from their native land. How would you like to give that message? Two seemingly unassociated segments, the visions that God gives Amos and the confrontation with Amaziah, one of the priests at Bethel. If you'll remember, the cow idols were at Bethel and up at Dan. That's where uh, Jeroboam, so that he would prevent the people of Israel, those ten tribes, from going down to Jerusalem to worship, said, here is your God, O Israel. And then they worshipped at the northern end and at the southern end, and they had priests that were there who were supposedly worshipping God. And so we have this confrontation that takes place. And it's not unlike the confrontations that we have today, is it? Where you and I want to stand true to what the word of God says, but doing so in a culture that is against him is hard because nobody wants to hear it. Do you guys agree with that? And yet I want you guys to understand something. We are called as believers in Jesus Christ to do just that anyway. To stand true to the word of God, to stand true to our faithfulness in Jesus Christ, even when everything around us goes awry. More than ever, community among believers in Jesus Christ should be cherished, which is why what's been happening the last couple of years, hearing about what happened in Uganda, what's happened here in the United States, is such a tragedy It's why me and Mark push so hard against stuff like that because it's decimated the gathering together of believers in the church. 
and left us kind of out on our own as spiritual minorities singled out, just one at a time being picked off concerning our faith. We're about three quarters of the size we were two years ago, which is great. Praise God, we're three quarters. Most places aren't that much. And yet the threats against our faith in Jesus Christ grow even greater. How are we going to stand if we don't stand together to encourage one another in our faith in Jesus Christ? How do we do it? Seriously. More than ever, we need one another in Christ, in community, together to stand against that. So that we'll have the courage to do what God has called us to do. Which is to speak boldly against the culture around us that has lost its way. They're unmoored from Christ. They're unmoored from anything godly. It's exactly what Amos is dealing with. And you know what Amos is being told by this priest who is supposed to represent God, right? Shut up. Go someplace else. Do your prophesying down in Judah. Don't do it in this kingdom here. Go down to the southern kingdom. Talk to them about their problems. Don't talk to us about ours. Because all he sees of Amos is a preacher who continues to preach judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel. People don't like that. They'd rather shut you up and say something nice instead. It's what's hard sometimes from being a pastor because guess what? I start reading the word of God and I start preparing what the word says and I start sharing with you and I want to bring comfort to you but I can't because the word of God says otherwise. And so those of you who only know me from up here preaching on a Sunday morning get a very jaundiced view of who I am. Seriously. Man, I wish you wouldn't be like that. Well, come sit down and have a meal with me. Find out who I am. Find out how passionate I am about Jesus Christ. Find out how passionate I am about each of you who are here today and your families and your children and our culture and that my railing against the things that I see even within the context of our church comes out of an abundance of love because I see where it leads. And all those things that aren't seen. So the whole first set of Amos where he talks about the locusts that God was going to send and he sets and he intercedes on behalf of the sinful people who don't deserve it. Who have raised up the judgment of God and yet here he is interceding on behalf of them and saying, Lord, how is Jacob going to survive? If you send these locusts, there'll be nobody left. If you send this fire, there'll be nobody left. I know judgment is coming, but oh Lord, relent. And by the grace of God, these two unseen judgments by the people 
are avoided because of a faithful man who's preaching judgment to them so that they might repent and turn away, but he cares so much for them that in the privacy of these visions that God continues to send him, he still intercedes on their behalf because he wants them to repent. He wants them to turn away. He wants them to come to know God. And he still has to preach judgment. Is that any different than what we see from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I would contend with you now. Just taking a few passages from a few of the different gospels here. John chapter 8 starting in verse 21. They were arguing over who Jesus was. Jesus is trying to share with him that if you knew the Father, you would know me, but because you don't know the Father, you don't know who I am. And so in verse 21, he says, once more, Jesus said to excuse me, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin and where you go, where I go, you cannot come. And this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is reliable And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. This is the very one who would die on the cross for you and my sin. I have much to say in judgment of you. That's the message he's telling these people. You will die in your sin apart from me unless you believe I am the one I claim to be. You know what they wanted Jesus to do? They wanted him to shut up. He would continue on and they would talk about being children of Abraham and he would go on to tell them that you're children of the devil. That same passage of scripture. Are we right in calling you a Samaritan and demon possessed? They call him all types of names. Shut up. Quit talking about stuff like this. This is not an easy thing to do. See, we cannot divorce the Jesus who died on the cross from the Jesus who said this. It's the same Jesus. The Jesus who wants to save your soul and my soul, who wanted to see the people of Israel repent in Amos' time, still has to talk about the impending judgment of those who are unrepentant. Has to. I tell you what my father says. That's Jesus' words. I always say those things that he wants me to tell you. And they're not always easy things. And they're about judgment. And we're uncomfortable because we don't like it.
If we look, Luke 19, starting in verse 41, after Jesus has entered in the triumphal entry of Jerusalem. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Do you hear the same type of anguish and struggle in Jesus during that time that we hear in Amos? He has come to bring salvation to all who would believe in him. But he finds himself in this city and he weeps over it. It's not a joyful judgment. Some of the people who think the idea that God is joyful in judgment, y'all are stupid. I'm just going to say it straight up. Y'all are stupid. There's nothing in the scripture that God enjoys judgment. He is judging because he is just. And he weeps over the people for whom judgment is coming. And in the same way, he's provided a way of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ to bring them peace. But they're unwilling to listen. In Matthew's account of the same thing, Matthew 23 He has just gone through the entire woe passage. One of the roughest places in all of scripture to read is the woe passage. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe to you, Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You search the world to find a disciple after yourself. And when you do, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you yourselves are. This is the context of what happens at the end of this passage. Verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I cannot tell you how many times we've preached messages up here, how many times we've counseled people in our offices or in our homes or eating someplace. How many times Mark will call me or I will call him? Just burdened. For the very people whom we care about, who we sat down and just not willing. It's not willing. Doesn't matter what. 
We'd be talking about marriages, finances, relationships within families. We'd be talking about what people think ought to be done here, there, or otherwise. Sit down and talk with them. Pray with them. Look at what's going on in their lives. Just heartbroken. Because they walk away and they, we know they're unwilling. We know it. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. We've done it so many times. And we go home and we're at home that night and we pray and we pray and we pray. We pray for those families. We pray for those youth. We pray for those people who are hurting. We pray for those who are in those situations that we've counseled them, but they want to go their own way. And it doesn't really matter what they say. As a matter of fact, they kind of wish we'd shut up. And we pray for them. And I still pray for them. I've been a youth pastor for 20 years. I remember names of people 20 years ago who are still not walking with Jesus and I still pray for them. Because God brings them to remembrance. I really do. I can't tell you how many people we've ministered to. We want to see God's best for you. Every single one of you. But God's best for you may not be what you want to hear. But I am bound. Mark is bound by the word of God because we believe it's true above everything else. So we really don't care what you think of our advice. Because we're not basing it in our advice. If we're doing it right... We're basing it on the word of God. But your rejection of it hurts just the same. Turning away from it, thinking it's not that important, thinking you know better than we do, or whatever. Seriously. This is no power trip. This is the heart of somebody who wants to see what's best. But it takes the courage of being able to say the truth even when it's a hard thing to do. Because God told Amos to tell truth to Amaziah. That was harsh because he was unwilling to listen. We are living in a culture that does not want to hear the truth, though it's going to be harsh. And they're going to tell you, I don't want to listen to you anymore. I don't want to talk to you if you're going to bring this up anymore we're not going to be friends we're going to be estranged as family going to cost you something if you bring it up at work you want to make a difference for Jesus and for eternity you're going to weep for those that you reach out that slap your hand away because they want nothing to do with you and you're going to have sleepless nights 
of people who have slapped their hands away, but you care about them, their relationships, what's happening in their lives, and you know that Jesus is the answer to that, and they have swallowed the lie of this world, but you've still got to go forth and give the truth of Jesus Christ in boldness, no matter what it costs you. Even when other people are telling you to shut up. Because they will. And they do. But see, the opposite of it is true as well. The only way that they're going to see the unwavering commitment that you have in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ makes that much of a difference is if you stand firm like that. That's it. We're looking back at Amos as a prophet who's recognized by God for telling the truth that at the time wasn't. At the time, they wanted him to go away. At the time, he wasn't preaching a message that was popular. He was in the spiritual minority, even among those who would call themselves Jews. Guys, being a biblically faithful Christian puts you in a spiritual minority. Statistics are around 17% of those who are going to churches today call themselves to be a Christian, somewhere around 17%, if I remember the statistics correctly. And that's the high end, by the way. The only way to change that is to stand firm in our faith. Proclaim boldly the truth and rely upon one another in community. That's it. No other solution to that. We got to know the word of God better than we need, than we know the words of everything else around us. A lot of us know a lot of other cultural things more than we know the word of God. That stands in stark contrast where God wants us to be, and that's not going to end well for us. It's just not. It's not. It's why we're taking the commitment to walk through the Bible in five years, because we want spiritually mature Christians who can then talk to others about Christ. And tell the truth boldly. And part of that cost is going home. Recognizing those that will not listen. And weeping for them and praying for them. And having sleepless nights. Because they don't want the joy and the peace that Christ has given us. And so it's a burden we bear. It just is. Are you willing to be that Christian sincerely? In your home, in your workplace, are you willing to be different? To stand out and say that which nobody wants to hear. But it needs to be said because if they don't hear it, how are they ever going to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? I I ask it sincerely, I really do. We need to start getting our courage back up again to invite people to come to church to hear messages like this. We need to start getting our courage up again to start sharing within our families when we see sin happening in a bold way and saying, that ain't right. It's not right because I say it's not right. It's not right because God says it's not right. Who am I? I'm nobody. 
But we've committed to follow the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord. And we're going to not follow the things of this world. It's going to mean we're going to make commitments to doing things different than the world around us. We're not going to have their priorities. And they're going to look at us strange because we don't have their priorities. That's what Amos was being told. Go away. We're fine the way we are. Preach down in Judah. Go to, go to your own people and preach. Dude, that's not what he was called to do by God. You start living for Jesus in all the ways that Jesus wants you to live for him. You're going to look different. People are going to make fun of you. People are not going to understand. They're going to say, why don't you do like everybody else does? Can you and I adopt the struggle, the hidden struggle of Amos and all the prophets? Because it's what we're supposed to do as a Christian. Staying faithful to God no matter what. Speaking the words of God even when it's hard. And even praying for those that reject us because we want still God's best for them. That's what God has called us to do. That's who we're supposed to be as a people of God. Things are getting darker. You're going to hear that more and more. We're in the prophets. We're going to talk about the darkness of it. It's just ironic that we're going through a time right now, as Roger mentioned. How much? How much, right? How much does it resemble that what Israel went through. Is this some sort of coincidence or is God and his providence working this together that we might be the equipped people of God for such a time as this? Would you stand with me? I would love a fluffy bunny sermon. Can I, can I just tell you that? I would love a fluffy bunny sermon. You guys read what we read this week? Six through nine? Is there any way for me to do a fluffy bunny sermon? Are we going to say that that's who I am? Or am I just trying to be faithful? Is that who Mark is? Or is he just trying to be faithful? Is that who John is or she's just trying to be faithful? Don't make us our sermons. We pray for you more than you'll ever know. We want God's best for you. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the courage of Amos to live for you. Amidst a rebellious people, thank you for our heart of him to be heartbroken over those people, that he would pray fervently, that judgment would be allayed or held back or not as bad as it could be because he loved them as people and wanted to see them return to you. God, I want to pray for family members here who need to return to you. That you will help us, O oh Lord, to be the words that may have to wound their spirit to bring them to humble repentance. 
God, I pray in the name of Jesus, even if it causes friction in our families, friction in our work relationships, friction among our friends and others, Lord, that we would speak the truth in love, knowing that love speaks truth and doesn't ignore it. God, would you give us the courage in this age, O Lord, to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are around us, to invite people to church at a time where people don't want to be invited to church. Lord, help us to have the courage to step out, to want to see for them salvation in Jesus Christ in whom there there is no other. Otherwise, they're going to die in their sin because they won't be able to go where Jesus is unless they confess that he is who he says he is. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you will help us be bold, whatever perception it is, to stand firm in the faith of Jesus Christ and to love those even when nobody's looking. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.